So once again, it's a privilege to stand before you here and share the word. Uh, we have come to the end of our series, the book of Romans. I'm sure it's been a long time coming, uh, but here we are uh, at the very end. And although Pastor did preach on chapter 14 and 15, the last time he stood before you, um, he basically left for me to conclude uh, chapter 12 and chapter 13. So, and it's apt that he did that because we'll still touch on one or two things that he spoke about uh, then. So we say that the book of Romans basically was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. I call it a masterpiece on grace. So Paul was speaking on the subject of grace. And it's very strategic where the book of Romans is placed. After the Gospels, then the Acts of the Apostles, then it's the first letter to the church. So that strategic position is because that particular book lays the basis for our doctrinal beliefs as a church, as a New Testament believer. But what's amazing is that this, what he spoke about was so radical and so far removed from the religion of the day that in verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul declares, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul introduces something called the gospel. The gospel was such a rare word used at that time. In fact, researchers will tell you that the word gospel was used only two, time, two times outside of the Bible in Greek uh, literature. So it was a strange phenomenon. And basically what it means is that it's nearly too good to be true news. It was so far removed from reality that people could not fathom it. And Paul had to declare boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And what is Paul saying? Herein he's saying that salvation is obtained by grace through faith. Okay, I'll explain what that means. That salvation is obtained by grace through faith. And let me also emphasize that the same principle is reiterated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. In other words, you're not saved through your self-effort. You're not saved by the deeds of the law. You're not saved by your performance. You're saved by the grace of God. This grace which is unmerited, undeserved, and favor of God. So your part, your part is simply to believe. And you receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how we receive salvation. And now, why it was so radical was because, if you remember the Old Testament is very prescriptive. There are do's and don'ts. There are certain regulations and and laws that have to be followed, things are done in a certain way. And, and we'll, we'll come to that point where we explain why the law was given. 
So the law basically guided how society conducted itself. If you remember, uh, when I spoke about it at the beginning of the series, there was this group of radical um, Jews back in the day. They were called the Essence. The Essence did not believe in bowel movement during Sabbath. So between Friday, uh, Friday evening and Saturday evening, there was no number two. It had to wait. That's how radical it was. There were a limited number of steps you could take so that you could carry favor with God, so that you could obtain salvation. So they had to observe these things. Then Paul comes and says, all that you don't have to do. All that is done for you. All that is, should be behind you. Because Jesus has died, all you have to do is to believe and receive. That's why that message was so radical. And when you talk about salvation... Uh, we said then that it's not simply the forgiveness of sin. That's what we know. And even today we have to deal with religion. Eh? But we say that the word salvation means sozo in Greek. It means sozo. And it covers more than the forgiveness of sins. It talks about healing. It talks about peace of mind. It talks about joy. It talks about financial prosperity. That is what salvation is. It's an entire whole package. And sometimes we receive part of salvation... And then we try and work and earn the rest. You try and earn and work for healing, uh, for prosperity and all these things. Yet these things have been given to us in the package called salvations. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says that as ye have received Christ, so walk ye in him. The same way you received Jesus Christ, the same way you received forgiveness of sin, which was by faith. You didn't do anything about it. All you did was just believe. You didn't go and work. You didn't go and do penance and all these other things. You simply believed. So walk in him. So this, the rest of this stuff, healing, is received in the same manner. Good. So then we see that religious believers have said in this day and age, will tell you that God will move proportional to your performance. That God will move in your life proportional to your performance. In other words, if you fast for 40 days, if you give of your tithe, if you do all these things that we may call, let me not call them rituals, they're good things. But if we put our faith in our effort, if I put my faith in that I fasted for 40 days, then I go before God and say, God, I fasted for 40 days. Now you owe me a car. That's the attitude we have. Whoa, I've been praying, guys. Guys, I've, I've been praying. And I, I, I know, I've, I've prayed. God must, he must come through. Now, prayer in itself is a good thing. But you can't put faith in your effort. We put faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let me say that God is not so much impressed with your fasting. And fasting is very important. Fasting helps you to basically deny those things of the world. And you give time and space for God to minister to you. But God is not necessarily impressed that you fasted for 40 days. In fact, he says, look, the things that you want done, they're done because you come to the knowledge of him. All right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free. It is the truth you know that sets you free. The word know is not intellectual comprehension or knowledge. The word know, as we have discussed before, is intercourse with the word. It's meditating on the word. It's being that guy in Psalms chapter 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth in the path of sinners or sits in the, sin of the, sins, um, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Because what does he do? He meditates on this thing day and night. It is the knowledge that you have. It is the word of God that you know. That's what sets you free. It's not your 40 days of fasting. It's your intimacy with God. Let me leave that alone. Then, we're still doing a recap. So, the Jews, uh, basically, were, had been banished for a period of time in, in Rome. So, the Jews had just come back. They'd been allowed to come back to Rome. And so, they found the Gentile Christians. So, what the Jews were attempting to do was to say, Ah, okay, yes. You receive this grace, this salvation by grace through faith. Yes, but, you know, there are certain things you need to observe for you to be, to be, to be saved. Uh, for you to have a relationship with God. And, and Paul was saying, no, these guys are contaminating the gospel. That's why he wrote this particular letter. So the purpose of this letter was to distinguish between the Old Testament way of operating and this new dispensation of grace. So distinguishing two errors, basically, drawing a clear line between them. And if you remember in chapter 1, and between verse 18 and uh, 20, we spoke about the two categories of people. There are those who come to the knowledge of God through intuitive knowledge. What do we mean? You can imagine your great, 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 great grandfather, perhaps in the Congo. You may wonder, is that guy in heaven or where did he end up? I don't know that you guys ask yourself that question. I do. Yeah, I wonder, okay, where did those guys go? Me, I've had the opportunity to hear the gospel, praise God, but what about them? The Bible deals with that. And it says that God has revealed himself to them. And the best representative of that lot is our father Abraham. Abraham did not have any Christian group before him. He did not have a Christian union. There was no church. There was no book for him to refer to. Abraham had a voice. God revealed himself to Abraham. We call him the father of faith because he had no precedence before him. God revealed himself to him. And we read that in Romans chapter 1 verse 19 to 20 about this lot of people. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one that has been created, walked on this earth, has any excuse. God has revealed himself to them. Whether or not they have the gospel, God has revealed himself to them. 
And this is buttressed by Titus chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, which says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So even they will be judged by a particular standard when they come before the Lord. The second group are those who are born after the law, after the law was given. Or let me say everybody who followed Abraham. And we are best, the best example we gave was uh, King David. He's also a great patriarch of that particular uh, dispensation. And even though David operated under the law, although he clearly knew what the law said, David appealed to the mercy of God. He appealed to the grace of God, despite knowing what the law prescribed. And a great example was, remember when he uh, messed up with Bathsheba. So David was supposed to go to war. And here he sent his, um, his general, I believe it was Joab. So he told you guys, you go fight. So he's supposed to go to war, but the guy decides to chill out. Because he's been so successful in these wars, it's like, ah, you boys, you can handle it now. I don't have to be there. But the scripture says he should have been at war. So a guy wakes up in the afternoon at four. Then he goes to the, to the rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman. And I'm sure you know the rest of the story. So she sends a message and says, hey, I'm pregnant. And David panics. So he says, hey, bring, bring the husband from the battlefield so that we can pretend they slept together and that's their pregnancy. That doesn't work. He puts the guy at the battlefront, the guy is killed. And he thinks, wow, I've gotten away with that. Then a prophet called Nathan comes and says, David, I want to give you a story. He says, okay. Uh -huh. there, there are these two guys, a rich man and a poor man. This poor man had only one uh, lamb. And that lamb was like their baby. They ate with it. They ran with it. They played with it. Then there's this rich guy who had lots of sheep and goats and all that. Then one day, a traveler came and he was visiting the rich man. So the rich man wanted to prepare something for him. So the rich man, instead of taking one of his many goats or sheep, he went to this poor man and took the only lamb, which was like a family member, and slaughtered that for the guest. David rose in indignation. He said, who is that? That guy has to be punished. Nathan said, boss, it is you. It is you. Eh? What does David do? David throws himself at the mercy of God. And if you read Psalms 51, it's actually David repenting to God. And this is what uh, two verses say of um, Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. It says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. This, O oh God, you will not despise. In other words, you can say, okay, Sawa, I, I wronged that guy. Uh, he is my lamb, so you forgive me now. That's what God is saying. I don't delight in you doing a particular action and having faith in that particular action. He's saying, look, he will not despise a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So David, even though he was born after the law, 
he knew how to appeal to the mercy and the grace of God. And hence, that's why we call him a man, or actually God called him a man after God's own heart. And we call him the greatest king in Israel, despite those funny things that he did. Now, these two categories of people, those with intuitive knowledge, represented by Abraham, and those uh, who came after the law, represented by David, the culmination of their actions is in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we said in both instances, and we've seen in Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared to all, to all men. So both groups have had the opportunity to know God. Then, guys, if you remember, we stepped into the purpose of the law. And we said, uh, let me read Romans 5.20, that moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. You see, the law was not given to help you overcome sin. The law was given to help sin overcome you. I know that's a very strong statement. Yes, the law <laughs> was given to help sin overcome you. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. The end of that scripture says, And the strength of sin is the law. Bear with me. Just talk with me and I'll explain. And the strength of sin is the law. You remember we gave an example and we said, look, if God had said, here's a 20-foot ceiling, if you can jump and touch it, you will be saved. All right? So we all try and jump. Some will get to five feet. I know who will get, some will get to two feet and so forth. Even if you went to 19 feet with four inches and you don't touch the 20-foot ceiling, that is a fail. In God's kingdom and economy, 99% is a fail. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend on just one point, he is guilty of all. So the law was not given to us for it to give us salvation. No, the reason we received the law was so that we may see that we cannot achieve salvation through our own self-effort. Then we go and tell God, because I can't do it on my own, I appeal to your mercy and to your grace. That's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to bring us to that position where we see the need for a savior. And once we accept Christ by grace through faith, this is what happens in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Here now we introduce the subject of the Spirit. And remember, Amboy told us that we are a tripartite being. Your existence is in three parts. At the core of your existence is your spirit. Then you possess a soul. 
Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then you live in a body. All right? And we've said that without getting too much detail, the real you is your spirit. When you die, what we take six feet under is your suit, is your body. What goes to heaven is the real you, is the spirit. And we say that some of you have never really met your real selves. You only know your body and your soul. But your spirit you're not very familiar with. But that's the real you. Some of you get to heaven and say, hey, is this me? Wow. Yeah. We'll be surprised to meet ourselves in heaven. But you can meet yourself right here on earth. <laughs> All right? <laughs> you can meet yourself right here on earth. And basically, it says, just to confirm what I'm saying, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So who is present if you're absent from the body? It is your spirit that is present. And therefore, we are supposed to let the spirit that's why we've spoken about the spirit being given precedence over your mind, your will, and your emotions. All right? Which is your, your soul. But the point we are trying to emphasize here is that this thing, this salvation, is received freely. God is not expecting you to work for it. It is by faith that you receive this thing. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely, being justified freely, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What have you been told to work for there? No, he's given us all things freely. That's what he's saying. This thing is free. It is a gift from God. Carrying on, Paul then enters into the law itself. He deals with particular points that have been raised uh, by the Jews. They're, what they're claiming that you have to do to attain salvation. One of the issues they brought up is what we call circumcision. They say you have to be circumcised. And we see Paul dealing with that in chapter 4. And he says, look, your father Abraham... God declared him righteous because he believed. And that was before he was circumcised. In fact, him being circumcised was just a mark of the covenant. It was God saying, your circumcision should remind you of the covenant that I have with you. It's not his circumcision that declared him righteous. So Paul debunked that particular aspect of the law. And he said, no, that's not true. So long as you believe. Your father Abraham believed and received righteousness. However, Paul did actually circumcise Timothy. Timothy was circumcised uh, and he became the bishop of Ephesus. Paul thought, okay, so that this thing is not a stumbling block to these guys, let us circumcise Timothy. However, he drew the line because the same Jews, legalistic Jews were insisting, even Titus, even Titus, Titus has to be circumcised as well. Paul said, no, it's not happening. If you guys are laying premium to circumcision, we're not going to circumcise Titus. So he did it for Timothy so that he doesn't become a stumbling block, but he drew the line with Titus. Therefore, and the Gentiles were saying, well, we don't feel obligated to follow these rules and regulations. The other two points were the eating of meat. 
uh, pastor discussed that in chapter 14 and verse 2. And in fact, Paul calls those who eat herbs, the vegetarians, weaker in faith. That's what he says. If you're a veggie, he says, <laughs> he says you're weaker in faith. But let me explain. What he was saying was that because the Jews were so religious, they were careful what they ate. So they were like, we don't know how this animal was, was slaughtered and other blood was drained properly. So because they were not sure, they decided, hey, let's just be vegetarians. So Paul refers to them as those who are weak in faith. But he was also, he told the, the, the Gentile Christians, you guys don't despise the Jews because they are your weaker brothers in, in the faith. Don't despise them. Eh? Give them room to come up to the level where you are. The reason he called them weak was because if you're bound by religion and rituals, and that is our case here in this day and age, you can be bound by a certain way of thinking that you leaving that to accept that this thing is received by faith will take a while. So you're regarded as weaker in faith. Whereas people think that if you have religious edicts, you must be superior to all. Paul calls you weaker in faith. The other thing was observing Sabbath and particular feast days. So Paul was dealing with all these points of law. So the Gentiles were saying, us, we don't feel obligated to observe these things. Then Paul said, look, yeah, doctrinally, you Gentile Christians are correct, but do not despise your weak Jewish brethren. So if righteousness is professed solely on the, uh, on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is okay if you have a personal conviction to observe Saturday as your Sabbath. It's fine. It's okay to say, I'll not eat meat. It's okay for you to say, I'll be circumcised. So long as you don't lay a premium on these things as, what, as it being what gives you salvation from God. So long as you believe that you receive salvation through faith and you don't have to work for it, it's okay for, if you have personal convictions about these things. That's what Paul was also saying. However, as I conclude the summation of the book, Paul remained very adamant. He was very, very protective of the gospel. And he said it should not be diluted in any way. And we see him being very cross and using strong language in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. And this is what he says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Then he repeats himself in, in, in verse 9. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That's how strongly he felt about it. Because people mislead others, telling them you have to work for this salvation, you have to do certain things. Paul was very, 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 very strict on that particular subject. So today... Today, someone begins now. <laughs> yeah, today we enter chapter 13. <laughs> but it uh, wouldn't be that long. So chapter 13, basically, Paul is helping us relate to authority. He's teaching us on this fundamental point of how does a Christian and government relate. And it's very important because it's a point where many people also get lost and wonder 
how do I relate with government? So we'll read uh, chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. And it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to do to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. In other words, if you break the law, you will go to jail. That's what they're trying to say there. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. There's another touchy subject. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Excuse me. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. A failure to understand between the difference, sorry, a failure to understand the difference between submission and obedience has given birth to false teachings that have actually caused some people to follow others or to obey in matters of sin because they haven't been able to distinguish between submission and obedience. Now, it's good to clarify that obedience may be a part of, can be a part of submission, but they're not necessarily synonymous. They're not one and the same uh, thing. An example, a soldier, a soldier follows commands of his superior commanding officer. But if he's given an, an illegal command, if he's told, for example, uh, kill this child, he may decline because he knows the rules of war do not allow him to perform an illegal command. And in a similar way as Christians, we are required, as Paul has said, to submit to authority. However, we also do not simply obey ungodly commands. And we'll get to that. Now, one of the best examples in the Bible is Peter. Peter is just a great guy. Um, he is this fisherman who followed Jesus. But he gives us a great example on this relationship between authority and our Christian walk. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 14, where Peter is talking about the same subject. And verse 13, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, what's interesting that is that this is the same Peter who refused to obey the chief priests when he was commanded not to speak and teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Where do we see that? In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. He says, So they called them, 
and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Peter told them, <laughs> What you're telling us, that one we have to do. And, and we are just being very clear. If you want to judge, you judge. But uh, for us, we can't stop doing what we've been commanded. All right? So what did they do? They continued preaching and teaching. And guess what happened? They were arrested again. Verse 17 of chapter 5. So they've been arrested again. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Uh, I like saying these guys were sad, you see. That's what they call Sadducees. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> which was the sect of Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But an, at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people and all the words all the words of this life. So you guys have been arrested, put in jail, an angel comes and says, Tokeni, go preach a gospel, you keep it real. Eh? They were arrested again. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is the third time, or the fourth time. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to preach and teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Of course, we are feeling guilty that Jesus had died and the people are slowly uh, going against them. Verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. This is always the bottom line. We ought to obey God rather than men. Notice that the apostles, even though they were beaten for their obedience to God, they did not criticize or foment a revolt. We have to distinguish that. They didn't stand there and start preaching against the Jewish rulers or whoever was giving them these edicts. Then they just praised God. They said, hey, we've been beaten. Glory be to God. Then they went back to preaching. They were not there fomenting a revolt. Or starting an opposition party. No. They praised God and kept preaching. We can disobey ungodly laws or commands without rebelling against authority. Alright? That's what Paul is communicating. And we have examples even in the Old Testament. Say, ah, that's New Testament. Show us in the Old. Come along. In the Old Testament, we see these cases of civil disobedience, where guys are committed to God's higher laws. Number one, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and that bad Negro, Abednego. <laughs> uh, in Daniel chapter 3. And here, these guys, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has made an, a gold image, and he said, everybody, when you hear the music, and it's all in harmony, bow down and worship. So these guys, they work for Nebuchadnezzar. They're actually very senior in government. I think they were um, uh, governors of, of the province of Babylon. So music was played. 
These boys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. So the, of course it was reported to to Neb. Neb called them and told them, guys, when you hear the music play, make sure you bow to this image. So music was played, then they're just like, hey. Yeah. Neb said, you guys, you, you'll be thrown in into the fiery furnace. And this is how they answered. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. When Neb heard that, he said, seven times. Hotter, this thing. And of course, they were thrown in. But what's amazing is that after they were rescued, and you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, everybody now, anybody who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this will happen to you. Because they refused to uh, obey what was an ungodly law, and God gave them favor in that particular instance. Again, we see Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Here again, uh, those guys he's ruling with. Daniel was actually uh, one of three people who were the, also governors uh, under the rule of King Darius. So these guys realized Daniel is so focused. There's no mistake in him. This guy is about to be made prime minister. And they said, hey, we have to conspire. So the 120 princes and, and the satraps who are the same level of Daniel, knowing that this guy is about to be promoted, they went to Darius and told King Darius, do this. Eh? Bring a law that says for 30 days, uh, nobody should worship any god or ask anything other than appeal to you. So the, the law was passed. But Daniel, as is his custom, three times a day, he went and had a special moment with God. And of course, these guys were happy and they told Darius, this is what happened. Hey, Darius felt bad, threw him in a den of lions. He was rescued. But remember, after that happened, Daniel was actually still promoted. So you don't have to kowtow or obey an ungodly command so that you can carry favor with an employer who is telling you to do something illegal. That's what it comes down to, basically. So, we also read in Romans 13, verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God has ordained the concept of government, but not necessarily the policies and actions of government. I hope that makes sense. God has, has ordained the concept of government, but not necessarily, he's not endorsing the policies and actions of a particular government. But the concept of government is actually his idea. And God asked people to police themselves at some point. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, this is what he's telling Noah after the flood has subsided. Who, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. In other words, you're saying, if you kill a person, you should also be killed. But that will be policed by your fellow men. That's a rule he gave them. Before previously, if you remember, the law had not been given at that point. You had guys, Cain kills his brother Abel, appeals to God. God even says, nobody should touch Cain. Huh? Then Lamech, one of their descendants, also kills a guy in self-defense. He says, and then he goes to the wives and says, ah, I killed someone in self-defense. If, if, if Cain killed someone and he was just jealous, me, I did it in self-defense. Therefore, I should be safe. Remember, we say that in uh, the book of Corinthians, when you begin to compare yourselves amongst yourselves, by yourselves, it's not wise. 
So these guys were losing, excuse me, they were losing the sense of right and wrong. So God was saying, before I give you the law, here's a rule. You kill someone, so the concept of government came from him. Even a bad government is superior to anarchy. Even a bad government is superior to anarchy. So the governors may not be from God, but civil government is definitely from him. Verse 2 says that we should, we should not resist authorities. We should not actively fight against. There's nowhere in the New Testament you find believers instructed to subvert, to, subvert, to subvert government or replace it. Actually, on the contrary, Paul is telling us and he's telling believers in 1 Timothy chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, to pray for those who are in positions of authority. That's what he tells us to do. Now, you also notice that the early Christians never brought any political pressure to bear on the Roman government. They did not encourage any revolt. What's amazing is that yet in a relatively short period of time, Christianity overwhelmed the pagan Roman government and it was adopted as the official state religion. Instead of these guys fomenting revolt and forming an opposition party, Christianity was adopted as the official state religion. That's amazing. Why? Because they kept to their lane. They did not disobey government in what was godly laws, but whatever was ungodly, they did not obey. Sooner or later, they were influencing the entire government. Good. Verse 6 talks about taxes. All right. <laughs> the Lord has commanded we pay our taxes. You're right. <laughs> What percent is for you to determine? Now, Jesus himself paid taxes. And basically, if you look at Matthew 17, 25, Jesus was saying we need to pay our taxes. And he knew that these taxes were going to a very corrupt regime. But he still said, you pay your taxes. All right? I'll leave that one there. Chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. Now we are on the home stretch, we are concluding. And this is what it says. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now it is. Sorry. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. The night is fast spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So we start with verse 8. Basically, we need to pay our bills. Yeah, we just need to pay our bills. And, and, and just to emphasize, borrowing is not a sin. But it's not God's best for your life. In fact, if you study, and probably will do a sermon on that, when the scripture says, um, oh, no man, anything except to love him. If you have meditated on this word, and you'll find that basically the aspect of lending, God does not say it's a sin, but it's, it's actually under the curse. Because to whom you owe money, you're subject to them. You become their slave. Have you ever had a landlord calling a tenant who owes you money? Hmm? You know what I'm talking about. There's almost no respect there. You, why haven't you paid? It's not a equal relationship. <laughs> that's what I mean. And God does not delight in that. All right? It's not, that's not God's best. But owing money is not a sin. But it's good to desire what God desires for us which is that we should be lenders and not borrowers. That's what scripture says. So failure to pay our bills and loans is wrong. So catch up with your loans and bills and pay them. But the same uh, verse 18 to 14 can be summed up by the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, as we come to an end. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. We should make no provision for the flesh. We need to guard our thought life. That's how you make provision for your flesh. What are you consuming? What are you dis depositing in your mind? Back to that social media story. If that's all you're looking at the whole day, one day you should just time yourself and say, how much time did I spend on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and all these things. Then you know how much you're providing for the flesh. Just do that by yourself. But the Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. Sin, all sin starts with thoughts. You have to think before you do that particular thing. And you cannot be tempted by what, by what you're not giving thought to. And as I've said, the reason why we find sometimes that flesh is strong is because we are continually feeding it. If that sewage and garbage of the world is continually flowing to you, your flesh will be strong, very, very strong. And you'll wonder why are these things not working. See, I know this scripture. You're not meditating on it. You've opened up everything that brings in all these things that make the flesh strong. So temptation will always be linked to things that we are thinking upon. But ladies and gentlemen, this book of Romans is not only Paul's masterpiece on grace, but it's God's love letter to us. He's given us a doctrinal basis on which we should conduct our Christian lives. And as we carry on and read and understand and meditate on this word, all we have to bear in mind is that he has given us salvation freely. We receive it by faith. It's important to sow seed in the scripture for that. But it's the attitude with which we do it. Are you doing it as a cheerful giver? Or are you bucket planking? Are you saying, I have sowed 
I expect God to provide for me. Or is it of a thankful heart? Thank you, Father, that you've given me this job of work, that you've given me seed to sow. I come before you full of gratitude and thanksgiving. And here is my seed. Here is my seed. And Father, receive it. It's the attitude that God is looking at. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Where we don't feel that I have ticked certain boxes, I have ticked uh, some do's and some don'ts, and therefore God owes me. That's the wrong approach. He's inviting us to relationship with him. And basically, the penalty of sin is paid for. We don't have to end up in hell. There are those who may be amongst us and are still not born again. I'll appeal to you and say, this life is short. Anywhere between 70, 120, and that's it. Then there's eternity. Let's make the right decision. Because he desires our company, he desires us, he created us for fellowship. And as we bow down and close our eyes, I want to invite anyone amongst us who has never made that decision to follow Jesus, to accept him as Lord and Savior, to give up their sin nature and receive the righteousness of God in Christ. If you're here and finally you'd like to make that decision, you've listened to many sermons, you've sat through many crusades and meetings, but you've never perhaps seen the reason why. And you'll say, but I come to church, I'm a Christian, but coming to church does not make you a son of God, does not give you salvation. It's like you being a, a person and you enter into a garage and that makes you a car. No. You standing in a garage does not make you a car. So you coming to church does not make you a Christian. So I'm inviting you to make that awesome decision. The best decision, perhaps the most important decision. It's actually the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And if that's you, by a show of your hands, just lift up your hand as every head is bowed. And put it down, and when I see it, you can put it down. Father, we thank you that your word has been sown. We thank you that the harvest is great, and you've sent forth your laborers. Father, we will continue to labor and we will continue to call in the harvest. And Father, we thank you that those who have heard your word who have received it, Father, with joy and gladness. And we declare that the enemy will not steal this word that has been sown in us. That, Father, this word may transform our lives. As we renew our minds with this word, Father, we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Father. We thank you for we'll know that which is good and perfect and acceptable before you. That will which you've set for us. Therefore, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to have spoken your word in boldness. Father, I thank you that these, your precious people, are equally anointed to hear and to do that word. And Father, this day we've chosen to receive wisdom. And in all of our receiving and getting, we also get understanding. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen and amen.